Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. A few weeks back, while sitting around the Shabbos table and following on a conversation about one of my guest's sick relatives, I declared that I was considering signing a living will. My pronouncement was followed by an awkward silence and glares from family members. Then my guest politely said, let's discuss something more cheerful, and the topic was dropped. It seems that talking about how we want to die can be difficult. My guest, Wendy Shakanovsky, is well qualified, however, to talk on this topic. She has a long association with hospice and consults to private health care. She's trained to advise end-of-life legal ag- agreements, and she joins me now to tell me more. She's also agreed to um, answer any questions you have, and you can reach us on at FM, you on Twitter. You can SMS on 34519. Or you can WhatsApp me on 061-895-1019. And while you're thinking of that, Craig has indicated it's time for a break. So before we get... Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. And I'm talking to Wendy Shakanovsky, who is a, um, has a long association with hospice and consults to private health care on the topic of end-of-life agreements. Welcome, Wendy, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I feel privileged to be able to share what I am so passionate about with your listeners. And sometimes we don't really think about things like end-of-life agreements. Do you want to tell me a little bit about what an end-of-life agreement is? Well, Sharice, let me just first tell you how I actually got into this or where this passion and determination of mine came from. I think we all um, are products of our environments. My father came to South Africa as a very little boy, nine years old, from Latvia. He could only speak German. He grew up in a very Germanic, rigid, structured environment, and everything was just in order. And His affairs were always in order. Everything was in order. And when he unfortunately passed away many years ago, as did my mother, everything was just done. All my sister and I had were these wonderful memories of them and no mess. And it was something that was so ingrained in me that I didn't know that other people didn't live like this. And then... Many years ago, I joined hospice, and I was in for a rude awakening because I saw this wasn't the real world. And I was saddened and astounded by how many patients were terminally ill and didn't have their affairs in order. It does prevent a patient from dying with a peaceful body as well as a pain-free body. You have to have a peaceful mind in order to have a pain-free body. And when your affairs are not in order, it creates a lot of anxiety. And so I have embarked on this mission to try to get people, not only patients. This doesn't only apply to terminally ill people. It's just that that's the environment that I've been in for so many years that that's what I've been exposed to. But all of us should have our affairs in order. 
there's so much that is beyond our control in life that this is something that is within our control. So if it is within our control, why don't people do it? And then they're able to get on with their lives and unfortunately have to deal with things that are not within their control. Um, Wendy, you talk about putting your affairs in order. What does it mean? Well, of course, putting one of one's affairs in order means different things to different people of different religions, cultures, and communities. So it has to be established in your family what putting your affairs in order means. Just to talk, say, from an average, ordinary South African family, I would say that the most important thing is to have a power of attorney. Okay. So that you start off with a power of a attorney. A power of attorney. Step one. What is a power of attorney and, and why do you need it? A power of attorney is a simple document where someone will stand in your shoes and act on your behalf. You don't know when the time will come when you may not be able to manage your affairs. Now, what I must point out specifically is that a power of attorney is only valid while you have your mental capability. It mustn't be confused with a will which deals with your assets after you have died or a living will that would be implemented if you are not able to mentally deal with the issues. A power of attorney is something completely different. Where I have seen a power of attorney lacking so fundamentally is when patients come into our unit. As you all know, patients are getting younger and younger. They have little children. They have young wives. School fees can't be paid. Food can't be put on the table. They are not mentally incompetent. They are just not physically able to deal with that. And a power of attorney would deal with that, take a lot of anxiety out of an already very, very stressful situation. When I lecture both in palliative care and I speak at private health care, and I ask very able-bodied people, how many of you have got a power of attorney? Not one. Very few. Very, very, very few. And I'm not talking about end of life. I'm talking about every single person that is listening to me now should have a power of attorney. Okay. I think people, they just make excuses for not having their affairs in order. It's not acceptable. It's actually not acceptable. Okay, so a power of attorney is number one. You mentioned two other legal documents. One is a will, and the other one is a, a living will. Do you want to just ex explain the difference between or what you think people should be putting in their will and when, when people should be doing this? Well, a will deals with your assets after you have died. Um, it requires more formalities than a living will and more than a power of attorney. My special, special interest is in a living will because I am not so interested or fascinated about 
what happens to people or their families after they die. I am more consumed with how you live your life while you are alive and the rights that you've got and that they should be respected. So what actually is a living will? A living will embodies a concept of not being kept alive if there's no prospect of reasonable recovery. It's also called, more commonly now, an advanced directive. I don't like that word because it's a word that doesn't really explain what it is. A living will explains exactly what it is. It is to um, explain your wishes while you are alive and how you intend to live your life. Okay, I think um, I'm sure people have questions for you, and I'm going to just give out those details. Should should you have a question for Wendy about an end of life? agreement document, then please contact us on at High FM. You can SMS us on 34519 or you can WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019. Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. And I'm talking to Wendy Shakanovsky and we're talking about how we want to live our lives rather than how we want to die. And Wendy, it is a, um, a topic that people possibly feel awkward to discuss. What is the role of a family when discussing issues around living wills? It's exceptionally important that you should involve your family when you decide to embark on a living will. The biggest obstacle to living wills, strangely enough, is not the medical profession or the legal profession. It is the family. Because living wills are not legally binding in South Africa, they are in Israel, but they aren't here. Hopefully it will be soon, but not quite yet. The medical profession are hesitant, although becoming much more cognizant of it. When you do a living will, you need to sit your family down and you need to say, this is what I want. This is my life and this is how I want to live it. It's not a document that's difficult to draft, but it's got to be able to be readily implemented. And if you should have three siblings or three children, and one of them says, you know what, I don't think this is what we should do. And the other one says, but mom said this is exactly what she wants. And the third one isn't quite certain what they want. It will be difficult to implement something. One needs to be transparent about your affairs. The days when wills were drawn and documents were kept without consulting family members is over. You need to have a meeting and say, this is where we are as a family. This is what my will looks like. This is what my living will looks like. This is what my power of attorney looks like. And consult with them and see that they understand what you are saying and that they are prepared to accept it. It's not a decision that's made lightly. 
And what actually does a living will do? As I said earlier, a living will embodies a concept of not being kept alive if there is no prospect of reasonable recovery. So, if there is no prospect of reasonable recovery, and that word reasonable is actually the difficult word to interpret. Reasonable means, does someone have the cognitive ability to lead any kind of quality of life? That's what it means in simple terms. And in terms of the World Medical Association, no doctor, not medically, ethically or legally, is obliged to keep a patient alive if there is no prospect of reasonable recovery. That doesn't mean that they don't have an obligation to care. They have an obligation to care, not to abandon the patient. But they don't have to be party to a lingering death. The days are over when doctors used to practice medicine almost in isolation. They used to say, I just want to practice medicine. But people have rights. We are living in a country with probably the best constitution in the world. There's the autonomy of a patient. Patients have rights. They are becoming vocal. They want to enforce their rights. They want to be heard. And they've got to be heard. You raise a number of issues. Um, one of them is um, prospects of um, lack of prospects. Are you always 100% sure that there is a lack of prospect? Is it clear? Does there come a point where your patient, it, it's so obvious that everybody knows it? Or is there ever doubt? Well, of course, there may be doubt. This is a, me- this is a medical question. This is a question or an answer that I can't give You know, I am not medically trained. I'm legally trained. I am not medically trained. So that is something that would need to be answered by a doctor. But there are ways medically to determine whether there is a prospect of reasonable recovery. Wendy, I have a question for you, and it is, does a power of attorney apply after death? No. 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 A power of attorney would not apply after death, and as I said previously, not if you are mentally incompetent. Okay. Right, so back to um, the doctors, you also say, are not bound to keep people alive. What has the response been? You said initially doctors worked in isolation. What is the response by the medical fraternity to living worlds, and have you seen a shift through the years? Yes, I certainly have seen a shift. In fact, I was contacted by private health care recently to say that patients are coming with a DNR, a do not resuscitate. Mm. They'll be given to the matron or to the head sister, and when the shifts change, they are not passed onto the new shift, right. and it's causing problems. And that is a very big problem. They, they are not educated in the legal issues surrounding do not resuscitate. They know that they've got to be aware, but should they be aware, but they're too nervous to be aware. It, so it's, it's much easier just to take it and maybe forget about it. 
just forget about it because they are too scared to act on it because they are not educated enough. So that has become a very big shift. It's a very big shift in private health care. They are taking cognizance of it. They are being very mindful of it. And they are being exceptionally proactive. That's fantastic to hear. You know, we have the most kind of open constitution. And surely some things like this should be part of that legal We are a very progressive country in terms of our medicine and our law. So, um, uh, Wendy, um, you also speak about the fact, when do you think the right stage to write a power of attorney, to write a living will, to to ensure that all your documents are in order? When do you think people should be doing it? They should be doing it if they haven't done it. The second that they stop listening (laughs) to me on this radio, before they sit down with a cup of tea or their lunch, they should do it. And you need to go to a legal fraternity. You just go down to download on the internet. You can. You know, you don't need a complicated document. In order to do a will, as I said, there are various, an ordinary will, not a living will, there are formalities. You have to have two witnesses who are present at the same time. Neither of them can be beneficiaries under the will. But they can be simple documents. But do it. And if it's done now, it needs to be revised You can't say, oh, I've got a power of attorney, I've got a living will, I've got an ordinary will, it's in the drawer, whatever. Every year, take it out, look at it. People's circumstances change. The the other thing that um, I'd like to ask you about is where you keep your papers. You know, people get sick and then they think, I have no. I know that there was one. I know that we did this. But where is it? How often do you encounter things like that? Well, you do encounter things like that. Of course you do. Where is it? Of course you do when people change homes and, and whatever. If you have a living will, the living will must be given to your children, number one, to your family doctor. And they, the family doctor must read it with you. He must know this is what you want. He must accept that that is what you want. If a medical doctor has an objection for some reason to enforce a living will, then he must explain that to the patient. He must offer to step aside and hand the case over to a doctor who doesn't have that objection. So they need to be given to close family members. I, for example, have a beautiful box in my cupboard and my children always laugh at me but I have got every single document in that box. Every single document. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm far from from perfect. But that is where they know that they can access everything. Um, Because um, I know you are not representing any kind of religious discussion on this, but I do have a question for you, and it involves the Torah and euthanasia. Do you have any comments on that? Well, the very – I am knowledgeable about it, but I will not profess to be an expert, and I won't discuss it. The world expert on this is Rabbi Dr. Kivatetz, who – 
has given so many lectures and written so many books. If you should ever be privileged enough to have him on your program, it would be the most exceptional, exceptional debate. And people must read his works to get his opinion. So, um, Wendy, thank you so much for joining me. If there are people who have further questions, um, are you available to answer them sure. or discuss it? Sure. Um, do you have any contact details you'd yes, like to they give can out? Get me on my cell number, which is 072-299-0502, or they can get hold of me through hospice. Okay. So, Wendy, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. It is an important discussion. It's probably one of the most important discussions, and it's certainly something that we can't afford to just relegate to the back because I, I think why people do it is probably why I do it. It's not imminent, you know, as far as I know. <laughs> but we <laughs> never know God. what to, to, no. tomorrow holds. So it is something that we need to consider and need to think about. So I'd like to thank you so much for coming in and sharing that with me. Thank you so much for inviting me.